Well, here at Batting a Thousand, we are nearing the end of season one. We've had incredible guests ranging from the CEO of a major industry publication to the host of a nationally syndicated radio show to sought after economists and more. If you missed some of the season, don't worry. We'll be sharing highlights from these conversations and others during our upcoming season one replay, where we'll listen to and dissect our favorite moments from all of season one before we enjoy a brief off season ahead of season two. Speaking of which, we need your help to build our lineup. If you or someone you know should be Dale's next guest on Petting a Thousand, let us know at dalevermillion.com forward slash listen or by emailing our team at listen at dalevermillion.com. She called and said, how are you doing? What's going on? It's a little tumultuous right now. And I said, I just, I don't know. I don't know. And I can't say that to anybody else. I need to be strong and I need to show people that I, you know, I've got it and I know what I'm doing, but underneath the surface, I'm like a duck paddling like crazy right now, trying to figure out how to keep myself afloat. I just don't, I'm not really sure what my next steps are. And she said something so powerful that I've taken forward in every decision that I've made. And it was people, you're in the chair. There's a reason that you're in the chair. However you got there for whatever reason that you're in it doesn't matter anymore. Now you're in it and you need to own it. And own the chair became a very consistent motto and theme for all of the women that we've been able to bring on the team here at AIM since. You're listening to Batting 1000 with Dale Vermillion, where heavy hitters from mortgage, real estate, and business share their secrets for lasting success. With your host, award-winning sales strategist and industry icon, Dale Vermillion. All right, welcome to Betting a Thousand with Dale Vermillion, and I am so glad to be with you guys. And as you know, on Betting a Thousand, we are talking to the heavy hitters in the industry. And today is wow! I am so excited to have Katie Sweeney with us. Katie is the CEO of the Association of Independent Mortgage Experts, or AIM, as it's known in the industry. Uh, Katie has a lot of background in the business. She worked uh, back in the business for Pacific Financial back in the day, uh, and and knows the inside the industry inside and out. Uh, she was the EVP for Arrive. She became the EVP for AIM. She was quickly promoted to CEO as as a 30-something, is a leader in our industry. She was the 2020 and 2021 Housing Wire Woman of Influence, uh, part of that group, and also was on the MPA 2020 Mortgage Global 100. Katie, you have done a lot of amazing things (laughs) in a short period of time. I cannot wait to unpack this with you. It is so great to have you with us. Thanks for joining me. Yes. Um, thank you so much. I'm glad we were able to get this worked out. I have been an avid listener of this podcast for a while now, so this is very exciting for me to be a part of as well. Well, I appreciate that. Well, look, let, let's just, let's dive right in. Look, I, I want to hear a little bit about your background. I, I know that uh, the audience would love to hear a little bit about that. And here's what I want to unpack right from the start is let's just talk about, you know, you're leading a huge organization. And, and, and you are one of the leading women in the mortgage industry. Um, I know our audience would love to hear a little bit more from you on how you got to where you're at. What are some of the key things that you value? You know, you walked into a pretty tough situation initially with AIM, and you have brought just a lot of harmony and great leadership to that organization. It's doing incredible things right now. We just want to hear from your perspective kind of, you know, how you got to where you're at. Yeah, well, I think... 
probably similar to the majority of people that work in the mortgage industry. I stumbled into it. I didn't start in mortgage. I started in healthcare. Um, I think that's probably a pretty common theme for most people that you sort of accidentally wind up here without realizing it. Uh, My background is actually in definitely working with entrepreneurial organizations, but also doing a lot of behavioral studies, understanding statistics, um, building out behavioral science models, a lot of user engagement online and understanding why people make the decisions that they make, particularly when engaging with a brand or a business through a computer or a phone and not necessarily a person or a conversation that takes place face to face. And so I worked in that space in healthcare for a while um, and eventually found myself being recruited over to Pacific Union to work on the consumer direct team. So same concept, um, two very highly regulated industries um, and two industries that For consumers and for borrowers, it's a really big, heavy decision. And so the way that you make a decision and the way that you research and educate yourself, there is a lot in common between the healthcare space and the mortgage space, because those are things that you're not going to, you're not going to make a decision about a surgeon or an anesthesiologist, hopefully more than a handful of times in your career. And you're also probably not going to buy a house more than a handful of times in your life. So um, that was the transition that took place. I was very lucky to have a couple of really great mentors at Pacific Union that took my knowledge of the consumer direct space and really expanded it into understanding product development and application development and the way that you can build things and design things so that you educate people um, faster in a more efficient manner than it would take to staff up an entire team of people online or in an office or in a call center. So I moved from the consumer direct team over to the technology team and was able to lead and run um, a product development group there for a little while. Um, That eventually grew itself into Arrive because I worked on building out the broker portal when Pacific Union was looking at really reinvesting into the channel. Uh, The leaders at Arrive at the time saw what I had built, um, invited me to come join the Arrive team. Uh, And after about a year, year and a half, we knew that Arrive was going to best be in the hands of a true technology company. Our role in being the first group at Arrive was to create something that was a disruptor to the market. It was garnering people's attention and building out a proof of concept that then allowed a team that was really built to manage a tool and a software like that to come in and take it to the next level, which is exactly what the team that's now managing Arrive has done. So it was fun to get to design it and to do a lot of the market research and really study what do people actually need and how do we do it and how do we prove to the industry that wholesale is is growing. It's where things are shifting to. If we can eliminate eliminate some of the barriers to entry, it's likely going to grow at a much faster pace than what we had seen in previous years. And I think Arrive was a big catalyst to that alongside and paired very closely with AIM, who was trying to do the same thing at the same time. So when we made that transition to the new management team, I joined the team at AIM really to focus on partnership development and expanding Um, Before I joined, there were a handful of lenders that had been very engaged with AIM from the very beginning, but building out a vendor network that allowed people to have access to enterprise level solutions that have been available in retail for 
decades, but had never really been made available to brokers and small business owners that are spread out across the country. And so we started building out partnerships, started engaging with other lenders and vendors on the sponsorship side, educating them on the opportunity that existed in wholesale. Um, And as you mentioned, it was relatively short-lived in that role before I stepped in as the interim CEO and then eventually took the role full-time um, about 15 months ago, last January. So it's almost two years since I stepped into the interim role um, and a little over a year since I took the role officially. That is a meteoric rise <laughs> in leadership <laughs> of, of, of very a very sad. large organization. Yeah, that is yeah. really, really awesome. Congratulations. So tell me a little bit, um, you know, I, I know that there's things that you really value. Diversity is something you value. Yeah. Um, you know, ethical leadership is something you really value. Talk a little bit about some of the things that you value as a leader and some of the things that you are incorporating in your leadership style, not only to lead AIM as an organization, but just to represent to the mortgage community, um, you know, the power of leadership. Yep. So I went to, I was very lucky. I was able to attend Pepperdine University out in California. And one of the key principles of the business school there is servant leadership. And it's something that I truly believe in to my core. Um, A lot of people, you know, I think there is something to be said about being able to work alongside and to show people that doing what's right is what's best, even if it's not what's easiest. Um, And so that's something that I try to weave into everything that we do and the way that we build teams. And I have a lot of theories about how you can build teams and leveraging people's skill sets and developing people in different areas. But I think combining my background as an athlete and as, you know, being the definitely never the most talented on the team, but often the one that could see where everyone else's skills lied and how we could pull those together to be the most effective on the court at the time. Um, And then being able to attend Pepperdine and learning more about servant leadership and understanding the impact that it can have not only on your own team, but on other people that are engaging with your work externally and seeing what you're doing and how you're leading uh, has sort of turned itself into my, my motto that I give to our team all the time and the way that I would describe my leadership style is it's a lot of grit, but a lot of grace. And I think those are two things that are really important um, in the way that you approach leading people. I think there's something to be said about being competitive and digging in and wanting to build something that you're really proud of and wanting to do that with people who you care about and you're invested in and that you believe in and that hopefully you can see go and do the same thing beyond you in the future. Uh, But I also think it's really important to remember that not everybody's had the same experiences or the same access and being graceful oftentimes leads to more productive conversations than approaching them with, um, just a different tone. And I think there's grace doesn't mean quiet. It doesn't mean that you have to be passive. Uh, Passive is certainly not the way that anybody would describe me. That's for sure. Uh, (laughs) But I think it's, it's approaching things that could be contentious with an attempt to understand. It's the believe the best in somebody else until they've given you a reason not to. And when you approach things that way, even if there is a misunderstanding or a misalignment or um, a difference of opinion, you can often find a middle ground a lot faster. And I think that's been really important to your point. It has been pretty quick. Um, I'm not going to say that I'm the most experienced person in the industry. There have been people who have been doing this a lot longer than I have, but I think being able to build bridges and close gaps that have existed and understanding 
how we can leverage everyone's skill set to get to a relationship or a contract or an agreement in a way that everybody's satisfied with just opens the door for more opportunity moving forward. So that's a, a long-winded way of saying, I think the grit and the grace are, they're good balances to one another. And I think it's something unique that, um, that I can bring to the table and understanding both sides of it, but also finding a way to help people know that even if you're not on my team today, that doesn't mean that we can't be on the same team at some point in the future. And how do we leverage each other's skills and resources in a way that's going to make us both more productive moving forward? I absolutely love that. I mean, that was such a great articulation of uh, of leadership. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I love the fact that we're on here together because we both think the same way in, when it comes to these things. We, mm-hmm. You're probably familiar with our whole our whole uh, business, Mortgage Champions, is built around the whole others first mindset. It's, you know, yep. do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in all things with humility, value others above yourself, looking out for their interests. That's servant leadership. And you said it so well. I love I loved the the statement of grit plus grace. Okay, that was a drop the mic statement right there is having enough grit to be direct with people and be honest and truthful, but enough grace to also understand human beings are human beings. And you know what? None of us are perfect. We're all trying to figure it out and working through this thing together. So seeing you with that kind of mindset in a leadership role like you are today with the responsibilities you have, I love it. This this is just, it, it really gives me a lot of joy to hear that. So Tell me a little bit, let's talk about how you apply that on a daily basis. And let's talk a little bit about the marketplace. And by the way, I I know that you said there's something you wanted to share, a story you wanted to share. You got my curiosity beat before we started talking. So I want to hear about that too. But I want to hear a little bit about, you know, we're in a really tough marketplace today uh, from the vantage point of the way people see it. I see it as a very opportunistic marketplace. Mm -hmm. And I know, you know, it's going to be a strong purchase year this year. You've got to really have a great A game this year leadership is absolutely critical um, and approaching the market is, is really important right now from the right standpoint. Yeah. Give me some perspective from your manage point on what you're, what you're talking about as a industry leader when it comes to today's marketplace and how to really succeed in it. Yeah, we our channel in particular. So for those that don't know, AIM is the association that represents mortgage brokers. So we are specific to one origination channel as opposed to the whole, but I think it's the same message across the board. And we've been talking to our members for the last couple of years, even before rates dipped and going into 2020, quite frankly, it was, you have to be ready for a more competitive environment. You need to focus on relationships. You need to focus on experiences and creating raving fans that are going to help do the work for you to get your name out there, get your brand out there and make sure that you have a consistent pipeline flowing in when opportunity arises, that you're not having to spend as much time developing in the future. If you're taking the time with every client that you're working with today, those are going to grow exponentially into larger opportunities moving forward. And I think most of our members did a really great job of not ever leaving those relationships behind by being tempted with the low hanging fruit when rates were really low. They were working crazy hours like everybody was trying to keep up with the refi boom, 
but they never let the relationships with their referral partners, with the real estate agents in their area or their title partners, or even builders in some cases, they never let those things fall to the wayside. And so now they have those relationships in place. And if they don't, a lot of what we're talking about is creating those relationships in your local market, really digging into community investment and community development, because that's where the opportunity is going to come from. Um, There is a housing shortage. Everybody is aware of that. We've got lots of stories where we hear people say, I have five pre-approved buyers that are bidding on the same house. Only one of those five can win. What do I do with the other four? Um, I think our our message is going to continue to be and consistently be build a raving fan every time with every person that you touch during that transaction. Make sure the customer experience from the first time that you engage with someone or the first time they engage with your brand all the way through closing and even transferring into the servicing space, right? Be the expert, be the resource that somebody knows they can rely on. And then make sure that you're asking for those referrals throughout the process. Ask for reviews, ask for referrals, ask the seller's agent, if they know anybody else that you can work with and create those opportunities for yourself in the local space where you are already seen as the expert, shortage is going to normalize over time. Rates are going to normalize at some point. Um, But this really is the the people who've invested over the last couple of years and the people who invest in their relationships today are the ones that are going to win. And they're the ones that are going to have sustainable models that they can continue to grow into. And I I'm happy to say and excited to say that we see that from a lot of our members. They're in a position to be able to grow through a contracting market. They're not looking at laying people off. They're not trying to slow down their hiring process. In fact, it's quite the opposite because they have so many relationships they've nurtured the last couple of years that need even more time and attention today in such a competitive landscape. So you said so many things in there that that I that I want to unpack, and the one that I really like the most, you know, it's interesting when I look at your background because you clearly have a great technological mind. You 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 helped in the process of building uh, arrive, so that there, there you've got that tech background, but you talk so much about relationship, mm-hmm. and and you know that that's that to me is the sweet spot in today's marketplace is understanding how to take those two things and merge them, how to merge really good technology to create ease and efficiency for your customers and for your partners and for the people you're working with, along with the relational aspect of just being that advisor, that creating those raving fans, building the long-term relationships. You know, it's it's the missing link in the marketplace today that yep. a lot of people are missing is they either go too heavy on one side or the other, and they're not merging those two together. Yeah. Um, and I love how you even brought in your sports background. I know that you, you'd you actually went to school for sports broadcasting. Did you not? I did. Point? I did. <laughs> cool. Don't try to dig up any of those videos. They are well <laughs> hidden to my note. Nobody's been able to find them and we can keep it that way. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make sure we don't do any of that. But, you know, bringing in that, that kind of competitive mindset with the relational side, with the technology side, and really focusing on just creating a clientele between your customers, your, your your partners, everybody you're working with so that you've got that long-term standing loyalty and relationship, I think is absolutely critical to success in today's marketplace. Because look, at the end of the day, rates are going to do what rates are going to do. People are going to buy homes no matter what. 
I mean, I started in the business in 1983 when rates were 17.5%. It never stopped yep. us from closing loans. We even exactly. did refinances at that rate, believe it or not. Now, I know that was ages ago because I'm an old old guy, but you know yep. what? Nonetheless, it, it, it doesn't really matter. People are going to buy. The American dream stays yep. the same. We can really change people's lives. Even refinances, if you do them right in this marketplace and you're leveraging debt and helping people get out of debt and helping people reduce terms and doing all the right things, you can create a substantial difference in the financial life of your customers through a mortgage transaction, especially in an economy that's tough like it is today. So I love how you spoke about that. Well, it's the like work smarter, not harder, not to throw a cliche out there, but that's really what it is. It, it doesn't make a ton of sense. If I'm a basketball player for me to go out and run nine miles a day and be a great long distance runner is not going to truly make me a better basketball player. I need to be running sprints. And I need to understand how that's going to influence my game and where the the power takeoff and building out technical skills, being a great cross country runner doesn't make me a great basketball player. Um, And we tell our teams all the time and a lot of the members that I talk to who are afraid to invest in the technology space because it can be intimidating and it can be scary. And I do think there are a lot of originators out there that are afraid. They're afraid of being automated out of the market, right? And being replaced by technology over time. Automation doesn't replace you. Automation allows you to do more than what you're already doing, but it's never going to replace the relationship that you've developed. So leveraging it to be able to do more in a more effective manner or to create a better experience than what you can offer today doesn't mean that you can't or shouldn't be involved. You have to still be involved. You're the person that they trust. They don't trust the computer. They trust you. It's one of the right. biggest decisions that someone's going to make in their entire life. They trust you. They trust the brand. They don't trust the technology. So leveraging that to allow you to do more in a shorter period of time so that you can create stronger experience for everyone without driving yourself into the ground or to scale if scaling is the thing that you want to do, if you want to build out a larger team um, and to be able to help a larger group of people, find the areas that you don't enjoy and find ways to automate those. Focus on the stuff that you're good at and the things that you like doing and automate the rest of it and make your life easier and create an experience that people, again, they're going to go and rave about because those are the things that are going to set you apart. As great as it is to say, I can handle it all on my own. Okay, but are you, how much time are you spending doing something that's not generating any revenue and it's not adding to the client experience? Because if you're not doing one of those two things, you're doing something that can probably be automated. If you just spent a little bit of time mapping out your process and understanding where those bottlenecks exist and the tools that are out there today, any business of any size can leverage. We have 40 partners in our network of vendors that are out there that provide services that three or four years ago were only available for larger enterprise companies out there that are now available for somebody who's a one person shop. If they want to leverage it, you just have to take a little bit of time to invest it. And it's the the constant battle of working on your business versus in your business. And what do you need to do and how do you find the right yeah. balance? But Technology shouldn't be scary and automation shouldn't be something that people shy away from. It should be something that enhances what you're able to offer your customers so that they're doing more of the work for you over time. I I loved what you said in there. You you made a great quote in there when you said, if you're not doing things that are either creating revenue or building relationships, 
then automate those. Why are yeah. you doing those things? Yeah. And you know, it, you're, you're dead on with that. I, I've said this my entire career that what separates top producers from medium producers and low producers is simply what they do with the 24 hours are given. Yeah. <laughs> That's really what it comes yeah. down to. It's yeah. how they use it. If you use it wisely and you identify those things that are repetitious, that automation's created for, let that automation do that job but don't use automation for the things that are intended to be done by us as humans. You cannot yeah. build a relationship through automation. You build a relationship through connection with human beings, through yeah. conversation with other people. You can't do it on a text message and you can't do it on an email. It's got to be a human connection. But if you use your automation properly, you really do untap the power of this industry that we live in where there is so much great technologies today that can be utilized but they only become powerful when you remember, and you said it yourself, this is the largest single financial transaction people usually make in their lifetime. It, yeah. It's the one where they're going to want a trusted advisor to work with. And I know that's what you stand for. And I know that's what AIM stands for. And, 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 and I couldn't agree more with that, that mindset. So let's talk for a minute. You mentioned at the very beginning, at the front of this, that you had some mentors. And yeah. one of the questions I ask every one of my guests is, tell me about the, the, the mentors or maybe a mentor, the key mentor in your life that influenced you in an incredible way. Uh, I'd love to hear that story. And I, I know that the audience would too. And why mentorship is so vitally important. And then I want to hear after that, what you're doing to add to advocacy, diversity in the industry, because I know you're doing some great things out there today. Can't wait to hear about that. But talk about mentorship for a minute. Yeah, I think there are a couple different types of mentors. And one of the things I was very intentional about from a, really a young age, quite frankly, in finding the right coach who was the right fix. I played a lot of sports growing up. Um, I was one of those kids that was in everything every day, all the time, doing everything that I could get my hands on. Um, but finding the person that you feel like you can learn something from. And there's there are mentors who are great for moments. And then there are mentors who are great for lifetimes. And they don't have to be the same. And there's always something that you can learn from someone. And I think a lot of times the stigma of finding a mentor intimidates people because it's, oh my gosh, am I going to make the right decision? I'm going to have to talk to this person for the next 10 or 15 or 20 or 25 years. But that's not necessarily the case. There are, right. um, I think every job that I've had and every team or company that I've been a part of, I've had a mentor. Some of them, again, they lasted moments or months, um, but they were meaningful for the time that they were there. And I tried to learn as much as I could from them, even if their role didn't directly apply to mine. Um, and so I, the most obvious one that I always reference, and I, it's going to become cliche again over time, but uh, my dad and I have always been very close. He really, uh, my mom did as well, but my dad, my mom always says my dad and I are carbon copies of each other. So um, there was a lot of the mentality that I I feel like I almost inherited came from the way that he approached work and leadership and the way that he built teams and the way that I saw him um, develop his career over time. Cause it wasn't something that was handed to him after school. He really built something powerful over an extended career in the healthcare space. Um, and so that's, that's kind of step one that helped create this framework of uh, build teams that you're proud of, 
always build teams that can replace you. If you're the smartest person in the room, you've done a bad job of building a team. Um, You should Mm -hmm. never be the person who knows the most, even if you're the person who's leading the people who are there. Um, And then also finding those people that you can learn from. And so I had, there were a handful of people at Pacific Union that were really meaningful, but I think one of the first mentors that I truly looked at as a mentor, um, his name was Warren Little. He was the chief technology officer at Pacific Union. And in meetings with him and in him seeing what I was doing in the marketing space and in the consumer direct space that blends marketing and technology together, right? It's a little bit different than the traditional mortgage marketing that existed, at least at the time in retail, because everything that we did for consumer direct was online and lead aggregation and lead management. So it sort of brought marketing and math and technology all together. Um, He saw that and saw what I was presenting and the things that I wanted to do and the experiences that I was trying to create through the marketing team and said, you may have a knack for this product world over here. This might be something that you like. Here are the things that I can help teach you. Here are the, you don't need to know the technology. I can teach you that. You need to know the experience that we're trying to create and how to translate what the business needs. And then I'll teach you the tech side. And he really did a great job of letting me bounce ideas off of him. And before I knew how to build out wireframes, I was drawing pictures on whiteboards, trying to explain to him what I was looking for. I didn't have the technical training, but I had an understanding of what we were trying to do. And I was willing to learn the technical side to be able to play the middleman between developers and business analysts and the business team. Um, I also was very, very lucky to meet, um, her name is Karis Cohen. And she actually worked at Sofio at the time, which is where my story as well. Um, And she was, when I started at Pacific Union, I got hired to work for another woman who very quickly found another opportunity that she moved on to. And so I don't know anything about mortgage at all because I was brand new. I was maybe six weeks into my role. And our CMO at the time, who's fantastic, was also new to mortgage. So he had a consumer direct consumer experience background, product development, but not necessarily the industry. And so I sat there and said, holy moly, who am I going to learn this from? I don't know. I can put numbers together. I can work formulas, but I don't know who, what, what lead aggregator should I be trying to buy from? What is the difference between making a purchase decision and a refinance decision? I had no idea. I'd never bought a home before. Um, I was, 26 and was like, oh boy, what am I going to do? And two things happened that summer that I think really changed the trajectory of my career moving forward. Um, My, the CMO at the time said, I went to him and said, Hey, I know you need to hire somebody for this manager, director role, whatever it was. um, But let me make you a deal. Let me sit in on those meetings Um, and just see how the interviews are going. He said, no problem. So I sat in on them. I saw a few people get interviewed and I came back to him a couple weeks later and I said, so here's the thing. I can do what they're talking about. Like, there's no reason that I can't do that. I just need a couple months to learn it. So I'll, I will trade you. I will tell you, you give me 90 days to earn that job. And I will do everything that you expected of my predecessor. Anything that you were getting from her, I will take responsibility for. I will work directly with the sales leadership. I'll work directly with the loan officers, whatever. I got it. 
give me three months. And if we get three months in and I'm not living up to the expectation that you had previously, or it's not going well, then I will let you hire whoever you want. And I will stay and work for them for whatever period, six months. I won't go anywhere. I won't leave. I will work with them. I'll help make sure, um, regardless of who they are, I will stick it out, but you have to give me 90 days to try to earn it. And he said, okay, fine. You get 90 days, which was, (laughs) I think such a critical part of where I wound up going. It wasn't that I knew exactly what to do in the moment, but I knew that I was a good problem solver and I knew that I had a lot of grit and that I was a very competitive person and I was not going to, I was not going to let myself fail and I wasn't going to let the team fail. And I was going to figure out how to pull things together to then be able to take that role over. So really for him, he got eight months of me working at a lower, lower title, lower salary than somebody (laughs) that he would hired. Um, But I had three months to try to earn the role that I felt like I could grow into uh, without somebody coming in over the top. Because once they're there, it's a little bit harder to try to jump the lat, and then that gets a little complicated. So um, long story short, it worked out. And so he said, all right, you have the job, you can take it. Um, You need to go to this conference. This is, so it was LeedsCon New York that year. Um, I went to that conference with somebody else who was one of the other leaders on the marketing team who oversaw all the retail side. And she introduced me to Karis. And I met Karis and she said, all right, well, we have this Ladies of LeedsCon thing. There were maybe 12 people there. And that conference had thousands of people. And it was so astonishing to me to see how few women were in attendance that were in leadership or management roles at these organizations, it was all men. And that so much so the dinner was, I mean, I'm not kidding. It was maybe 15 people. It was very small. And Karis looked at me and was like, I'm going to take you under my, I'm going to, I got you. I'm going to take you under my wing. I'm going to introduce you to everybody. I'm going to make sure that you know all the right people that you meet good guys and that we avoid some of the ones that we're not a huge fan of. And that just kind of being that, that um, sounding booth and being able to help me steer a lot of those early relationships and then allowing me to consistently go back to her and say, Hey, this person reached out. What do you think? Or I'm looking for this type of a tool or this product. Who can I go to? Where do I look? Uh, and she really did. I, the foundation of a lot of the relationships that I still have today largely came from Karis being willing to take a chance and invest a lot of time in somebody that didn't have, there was no reciprocal relationship, right? Pacific Union at the time wasn't looking at Sofi as a tool. Um, It wasn't something that realistically we were going to explore for a while, given where we were in the market at the time, Uh, but she did it anyway. And fast forward, Karis then helped. She was one of the very first people to invite me to speak on a panel. I was on one of the young leaders panels for or up and coming leaders for one of Softview Summit. Um, she actually is the very first reason that I met you because um, I was at the Softview Summit that you spoke at. And she introduced me to you at the time and turned me on to um, your mentality and the way that you coach people and the leadership style that you have and being able to see multiple people in such a small setting that are all leading with their heart and not leading with their pocketbook and having the 
give more than take mentality and seeing the level of success that can be achieved in this industry in one that quite frankly would really push you down a different path in a lot of ways, right? It's easy to get swept up into the financial opportunity that exists in the mortgage space, but seeing her and seeing you and seeing some of the other leaders that were present at those summits that were doing the exact opposite and that were giving whatever was needed to whomever needed it at the time and whatever guidance was there. I really do credit a lot of my leadership style today in formalizing that foundation. I think I had the foundation, but I didn't have the really hardened, no, yes, this is the way that I need to lead and this is going to pay off and it's worked out for these folks and it can work out for me too, um, without seeing that. And let's flash forward again, Karis is the head of partnerships at AIM now, so we get to work together. Um, When I stepped into the CEO position, she was one of the very first calls that I made and said, we've been talking about this forever um, and how we can work together and what that looks like over time. And I trust you and I believe in the way that you lead and in your style and your in your skill set and everything you bring. And so she came over and joined about a year ago, which has been amazing. But um, there is, there have been a lot of people over time that have had some influence somewhere on the way that I do things. I think there are a lot of great people in the space today. Um, Eddie Perez has been incredibly helpful. Brian View has always been a fantastic sounding board. Phil Shoemaker has been so helpful to me in trying to navigate uh, the secondary side of things that I didn't have a ton of experience with and just being able to give really thorough responses and not... um, None of those men, even Laura Brandeo and Christine Beckwith, no one ever looked at me and made me feel like what I was asking was a dumb question. And I think when it comes to developing as a mentor, it's that grace side. It's that willingness to teach and to be able to give guidance and give perspective without telling somebody what to do. You have to give them the space to grow and to learn. You can't dictate their decisions, but you can help put bumpers up to make sure that nothing veers too far <laughs> off the path um, and yeah. holding people accountable into who you know that they are um, and who you know that they're capable of becoming. I think being a good mentor is about giving guidance and helping people develop into the best version of themselves, whatever that looks like. Um, and being a good mentee is all about learning and being willing to listen when somebody tells you you've gone off the rails. It's time to reel it back. Let's pull you back to to the middle um, and make sure that we get you set down the right path again. There are so many rich things you said in there. And, you know, I, I, I talk about this all the time that I think the number one most important trait of a human being in business to succeed is a teachable spirit. You got to have a teachable mm-hmm. spirit. You got to be willing to listen and, and let people speak into your life those blind spots that we have, because we all have them and, and learn from them. And what a fun thing that, you know, this industry is so small when it really oh, comes down to it, even though it's really big, you know, uh, Karis is one of my favorite people on the planet. It's so fun that you and I met at the Softview conference years ago. And, and that's, you know, how we got to first meet each other. There, there's just, this is an industry that 
the more you're in it, the more you realize how small it really is and yeah. how everything that you do and every interaction you have is really critically important. Mm -hmm. You're impacting the lives of others, whether you know it or not sometimes. And yep. you went through a list of so many dear friends, you know, I just heard so many of the names you just mentioned a moment ago, uh, people that I've worked with over the years. It, it's just really neat to see how their influence has made such a big difference in the lives of others. And clearly you have too. And I love the story of you just going to your boss and saying, you know what? I can do that job. Let me do that job. And here we are. Fast forward now, you're the CEO of, a, of a, one of the largest organizations in the industry, making a massive impact in, you know, such so many ways. It's just really neat to see how, you know, our lives are wired in a way that every moment that we spend, if we spend them right, we're going to have impact. We're creating legacy all the time in what yep. we do. And we don't even know it half the time. We don't know where those conversations are going to end up, whether it's with a customer, whether it's with a colleague, whether it's with somebody you're trying to get mentored by, all of these add value to life over time. So Absolutely. I love those stories. Yeah. Well, so want, are, it, go ahead. No, go ahead, please. Well, say what you're going to say. Are, uh, those are the things that have influenced a lot of the, the things that we do here today too. So you had mentioned some of the advocacy things that we're working on and Yep. diversity and all of that. And our, uh, we have a couple of, um, I'll call them slogans, but just like different catchphrases that we speak around the office all the time. And one of the things that I was really focused on um, building out this year. So last year was definitely the year of stabilizing. It was, let's get everybody comfortable with the direction that things are going. Um, the Ames voice and what we were focused on shifted pretty significantly in a very short period of time. And so 2021 really was, let's get everybody, make sure everyone's still on board, bring some new people on with what we're doing and get to a place that is stable and sustainable and something that we all feel very confident in continuing to invest in. And so we did that and that was great, but to be able to then grow into the direction and the goals that we have for AIM moving forward, we had to think about the initiatives that were the most important to us um, and how we were going to best support them and best lead them. And so we created a member leadership team, uh, which we didn't really have before. We had a couple of presidents who had come on board, but we now have a six-person member leadership team that pairs off with the business leadership team. And all together, we become the advisory council for everything that AIM is doing. And so there are six right. member leaders. There are only four business leaders. So when you look at the weight of the decisions that we're making, it is intended to be driven by our membership base to make sure that we are always reflecting who our members are and what their needs are. Um, but our objective as an association and everybody on our team, the goal every day, every week, every month, every year is what did you do today to help people help more people? Every objective that we have, it's our intention to build something that helps our members go out and help more consumers. If we can help people help more people, then we've done our job as an association. And we do yeah. that through a series of different focuses, advocacy being one of them. Um, and so we've got a lot of great things that we're working on on the Hill, which are great actual legislative and policy changes. Uh, we have a bill that just passed in Maryland that we're about to take to 34 other states that um, significantly impacts 100% uh, disabled veterans um, and their purchasing power and their ability to qualify for uh, qualify for more upfront on awesome. uh, 
tax exemptions and refunds that they're going to get anyway. Um, but when you get it after you close, you can't use it to qualify up front. And so we just got, got that bill passed in Maryland. We're about to roll it got out, it. to, a, which is great. And so we're starting to see some traction in actual policies. But at the same time, we have the advocacy is the proactive, what can we do today that exists in regulatory policy, literal written changes that will allow us to do our jobs more effectively. Um, we have a, an initiative that we call our impact initiative. So it's ironic that you said that. Um, and the whole slogan there is, what are we doing to leave a legacy? What are the things that we're focused on? What are the programs that we're building out? And how are we constantly thinking about the way that our work and um, what we put out into the world is going to leave a legacy with the mortgage industry once we're all gone and we're not here anymore? And what kind of change can we have that extends beyond our members out into consumers. And so we have a, I'm very passionate about saying that originators need to be more reflective of today's home buyers. I think it can be, it's already yes. a really, um, a big and heavy decision to choose to purchase a home. And so when yes. you're speaking with someone or getting advice from somebody that doesn't necessarily understand your perspective or where you came from or some of the challenges that you faced over time or why certain things would give you a reason to pause and others wouldn't, right? There are lots of people who are willing to walk in and hand you a bank statement, but they're not willing to upload it online. There are reasons for that. And there are communities right. that have been taught to only trust in certain environments or only trust certain people fully, which makes it really hard to help if there isn't someone from that community that's available to help serve them. And so um, we're really focused on bringing a more mirrored um, originator base to the mortgage industry. So we have a small business grant program that allows um, any um, active duty military spouses or veterans, um, anybody who would consider themselves a minority and women to apply for a small business grant. Um, and then they go through a four week leadership academy before receiving the grant funding. We have a 12 month incubator that happens after the grant's been distributed that allows them to continue to get guidance and to have the support structure. Because it's not just about helping somebody set up a business. It's how do we make sure those businesses are successful long term yeah, yeah. so they can be ingrained, right? And be there local yep. and serve those communities that haven't always had an advisor um, and access. Yeah, you have access to education. Of course, you can Google it. But when it's not being communicated to, to you in a way that you're comfortable with or the way that you speak or the way that you understand things, it just creates barriers to opportunity in areas that it's not necessary. And so um, this year we're launching another version of our Spark program that will actually allow businesses that exist in local communities today to grow. Um, there can be barriers to growth for lack of recruiting, lack of resources, um, lack of time to go out and source those folks. So we're also launching a recruiting program that will help them hire um, people who are more diverse community um, and help bring them in and train them with, through our training and certification programs. Um, and then lastly, we actually have a community development program that we'll be launching later this year that will um, create local advisors in markets that don't currently have representation from any major uh, lender, bank, broker, doesn't exist in specific MSAs. And so we're going to go into them, create advisement opportunities, really start from the ground floor of basic financial education all the way through awesome. um, literacy, understanding, homeownership, preparation, making awesome. sure that people feel like 
They have a hub to go to to get answers without being pressured to make a decision they're not prepared to make. Um, and I think if we can do those three things and continue to invest in areas that are um, they're just not as sexy and they haven't been as enticing for bigger organizations in the past to spend resources and time. I'm a, a huge believer in the local originator. I'm a big believer in people who are ingrained in their communities, who are from them, who can serve them better than anybody else can. Um, and our impact programs are all intended to help more people from underserved markets, underserved communities have access to resources and education, guidance, support, whatever it is that they need, um, whether it's financial or otherwise to help create opportunity in those areas that you've got a lot of people who qualify to buy homes and they just don't know it and they don't understand or have a full awareness of the impact that it can have on their life and their kids' lives and their kids' kids' lives. And um, we're just, we're very, very passionate about that here. And I think the, the most important part is it's not just about getting in, it's about staying in and whether that's a business or a homeowner, it, getting them into a home or getting them into a business is one thing, but how do we then create the support system that allows them to stay there and creates the structure that's needed so that what they're investing up front is an investment that they can benefit from over time? Um, I just think that makes all the difference. There are a lot of people who will throw cash at things to help somebody get up and running, but if they're not in business in two years, then what impact did it really make? I am literally blown away right this moment because I loved everything you just said. Like the the fact that you are working for the greater good, the fact that you are educating those that need to be educated on how to have home ownership, the power of home ownership, the 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 motto of you know helping others, helping others, the motto of helping people build legacy, you know uh, the 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 advocacy, just all of the things that you guys are doing, Katie, stellar. Absolute. I, I'm sure you've heard this from a whole bunch of people, but I want to tell you, as somebody who's been around this game for a long time, I, I am blown away by the incredible things that you're doing. Just absolutely impressed with your articulation of those things and very yeah. grateful and thankful that you're in this industry. And, and you're such a great representation of what leadership should look like, uh, of what, you know, just having a heart for people should look like. I mean, this is a delightful conversation. I, I'm having the time of my life. I could talk for hours with you. This is, this is absolutely incredible. So thank you for all of those, those incredibly important points and the impact you guys are making. You know, you, you, you're really, everything that you just said there is putting a foot forward for our industry to show that we are the good guys. We're not the bad guys. We're here to help people with the American dream. And you know what? That that means we got to take a lot of responsibility. And the thing that I, I mean, in all those things you said, the one that I really loved at the end was you said, it's not about getting in, it's about staying in. Boy, is that the truth, you know, and that I think that's a lot of times where I see the weaknesses in our marketplace yeah. is in our industry is we're, we'll jump in, but we don't necessarily stay in mm -hmm. and you got to stay in in all things in life that, you know, I just my, my wife, Laurel, and I just celebrated 30 years of marriage. Oh, you know why? Because when I got married, I said, I'm staying in that's yeah. it. <laughs> you know? and, and we're committed to this. And, and, and if you have that that persona, that, that mindset in all things in life, it really does make a difference in your career, in your lives, in your relationships, in your business, in your success. So, so well articulated, uh, man, 
everybody watching this podcast is going to have learned so much from you. I so appreciate that. Well, so two last things. First off, I, yeah. I want to know, is, is there any, is there, you said there was a story you want to share. Maybe you've already kind of articulated that a little bit in our earlier conversation. Was there more to that that I need to hear or that you wanted to share? No, honestly, just that when, when you guys were talking before on some of the things that we wanted to cover and one of them was mentors or people who have made an impact. I think it's that it's a nod to how unintentionally you can leave a mark on somebody without even realizing it. And that uh, you and I met five years ago and the, the guidance and the way that you approach things and the way that you spoke and the impact that I've seen you have on other people has absolutely had a huge influence on the way that I've approached very similar situations. And so just always remembering that I think it's so important. If you have a stage, use it for good. Um, don't use it for yourself. Make sure that when you, anything that you do, whether it's on a stage in front of 5,000 people or in a Facebook post, you have an audience every time that you communicate and you put something out into the world. And if you're doing it with the, the intention to help somebody or to provide something good or to leave a positive um, influence on what they're doing or give guidance or advice or share, uh, you never know who's going to see it or hear it or the impact that it could have. And I, I am sure with 300 people in the audience and all the people that you met that day, the 26-year-old at the back of the room that wasn't even a SoftView client at the time was probably not the very first person that you were thinking about when you got up and spoke, but everything that you said resonated so dearly with me and with the things that I was trying to manage through at the time and with um, the direction that very quickly my career was going to develop into. And I'm, I'm just very grateful for that and always grateful to learn, but very, very thankful for Karis for getting me out there and for the opportunity to meet you and to have learned from you so early on. Um, it was, it was very meaningful. Well, that you just blessed me to, to, I can't even tell you how much that just blessed me. You saying that, thank you so much. That's, that's, very, very kind. And I really appreciate that. And, you know, we're here to pass the torch. That, that's, that's what it comes down yep. to. And, and you're now passing the torch to others. And, and I'm so thankful for that. So the last question I want to ask you, you know, I, I guarantee you are to women all over the country in this industry, you know, you're a great example of, of success and leadership and ethics and just all the things that, that I think are just so valuable. What would be your advice today that you would give um, to, you know, to, to women out there in our industry um, to pursue? Because you said it right earlier. We need more women in leadership. We need more women in key roles. There's no question about it. Um, agree with that wholeheartedly. Any advice you want to pass on for yeah. anybody watching? So when I uh, stepped into the interim role here, one of the very first phone calls that I got was from another woman who I would consider a mentor who I don't get to talk to nearly as much as I would like, but who's had a huge influence on me over time. Um, her name is Christy Furco. I'm sure many of you are very familiar with her. Um, but she called me and asked how things were going. And I had met Christy when she was still at Flagstar and I was at Pacific Union and we'd crossed paths on opportunities on multiple occasions and just never quite figured out how to work directly with one another. Um, but she still has always been somebody that I could reach out to and, and get an opinion from. And so she called and said, how are you doing? What's going on? It's a little tumultuous right now. And I said, I just, I don't know. I don't know. And I can't say that to anybody else. I need to be strong and I need to show people that I, you know, I've got it and I know what I'm doing, but underneath the surface, 
I'm like a duck paddling like crazy right now, trying to figure out how to keep myself afloat. I just don't, I'm not really sure what my next steps are. And she said something so powerful that I've taken forward in every decision that I've made. And it was people, you're in the chair. There's a reason that you're in the chair. However you got there for whatever reason that you're in it doesn't matter anymore. Now you're in it and you need to own it. And own the chair became a very consistent motto and theme for all of the women that we've been able to bring on the team here at AIM since. Over 60% of our team is women now. Our entire leadership team is women here. Um, And I was the only one previously. And it wasn't... I don't want to say that it was 100% purposeful, but it was seeking out those skills and those qualities that um, were illuminated in the female leaders that were able to come on board. Um, And I think that own the chair is the thing that I will tell you. If you're at the table or you're invited to the conversation or you're in the meeting, there's a reason that you're there. And while you always want to lead with learning, um, you also need to make sure that if you have something to share or you have the ability to impact the conversation or there's something powerful that's not being discussed, pipe up, let somebody know and speak so confidently because you wouldn't have been invited and you wouldn't have been included if you weren't supposed to be there. Um, My second comment to that, because honestly, oftentimes women are um, almost bigger adversaries of each other than just the industry as a whole. I think they're there is a generation of women that had to work really, really hard to earn that seat at the table. And were kind of raised in this industry in a way that led them to believe there's only one chair for a woman here. And so I need to take it and I need to keep it. And I need to make sure that nobody takes it from me. And it can feel a little threatening or a little intimidating when there's somebody else that's coming to the conversation that you feel like might take that spot from you. Don't ever think of it that way. There are there is space for another chair. Pull up another one right alongside. It's the wrap your arms around them. Learn what you can from the person next to you. Be a good neighbor. Be a good friend. Be a good team member because we ultimately have the same goal and your skills are going to shine through. What you bring to the table is very different than anybody else. And it shouldn't be seen as a threat. It should be seen as an opportunity to. Uh, to change the trajectory of somebody else's career, right? I mean, had Karis felt that way, who knows where I would be at today? And she never approached things for that mentality. It was, she had a seat and she was going to make sure that I had a seat right alongside her. And I think that's so important for women out there. If you're in the chair, own the fact that you're there. And once you're in it, pull up another one and make space for somebody that hasn't had an opportunity to join the conversation yet, because there are a lot of really smart really powerful, influential people out there from different backgrounds that are different ages and have different experiences and different industries that they've come from. Um, And the more that we bring those forward, the more that we reflect the people that we're all supposed to be helping. And that's today's, it's today's homeowner, it's today's home buyer. And if we don't represent them, um, then we're not representing the people that we're intending to help influence over time. So that's what I would say. Own the chair that you're in, pull up another one alongside you, make sure that people have an opportunity when you meet somebody smart, bring them to the forefront, put them on the stage with you. Um, It's not taking anything away from you. It's adding more to the industry that we all really care about. 
I could not add one thing to anything you just said there. That was phenomenal. That was absolutely phenomenal. And, and, and you're right. And I think a lot of times what happens in the industry is people get intimidated by other people's success or wisdom or knowledge. That should never happen. We should, we should, we should relish in other people's successes. We should absolutely, you know, honor those and, and want to learn from those and want to be part of those. That's how we all grow together. That's where growth comes from is being open to uh, all of those opportunities out there. So Karis Cohen, if you're listening to this, by the way, your name's come up a lot. We we both love you and admire you and respect you and and, and appreciate you. So, uh, you know, she, she is a great human being. Um, been a friend for a long, long time. And look, Katie, I just got to say, this has been a incredible interview. I am so grateful that you joined us. I know how busy you are and I appreciate you taking the time to spend with me. And I appreciate all the wisdom you've shared today. There's been a million golden nuggets in this, in this 45 minutes. I can't wait to watch this uh, again and just, just hear these again. Thank you so much for being here. I am so glad that you are uh, one of the leaders in our industry and that you, you and people like you are going to take this industry and just continue to, to make it a great industry for the future because the older guys like me won't be here that much longer. <laughs> I'm so glad to hand it over to somebody, you know, to other people that are just so accomplished. And you have added so much value uh, to everybody in this session. I really appreciate you spending you. the time and, and sharing your wisdom and just fun to be with you. Thank you so much. God bless you. Uh, just wish you all the best in what you're doing. Uh, not that you need it, because I know that you're going to just do incredible things over at AIM and in anything you do. Uh, and again, thanks for being with us on Betting a Thousand. Thank you so much. It was great. Adding a Thousand is a production of Mortgage Champions, a company that's been transforming the people who transform companies since 1995. Have a suggested topic or guest? Contact my team on Twitter. That's at Dale Vermillion. Or tweet us using the hashtag batting1000. That's hashtag batting1000.